1: Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You can book sessions by Skype, FaceTime, phone, or in person with me at my Los Angeles or New Orleans locations. You can also find archived episodes and subscribe to this show on Google Play, iTunes, and YouTube. Something new I've started as of a few weeks ago is that you can become a patron of this show to help me bring you more interviews with guests like I have today that I'll be bringing on in just a few moments. And it's through Patreon, the platform of Patreon. There's a link to my Patreon page at LA Talk Radio or on my website, nolatherapy.com, where you can also subscribe to the show. So Uh, Today, my guest is really inspiring, and I posted on my social media, in fact, that it's a day I wish I had a TV show to be able to show the images of her work. She started uh, her studies and education at Pratt Institute School of Architecture in New York, and from there, she went on to Columbia University for grad school in architecture. From that place, she realized she had an ability and and gift with materials and glass and particularly and got her MFA, her master's in fine arts with concentration in glass from Tulane University. So she now currently owns and directs l a. Porcari Architectural Glass Art Studio in New Orleans. And when I tell you she has completed numerous major installations, both public art commissions and private pieces. over over twenty five installations and commissions in the u s. She has received international awards residencies, professional write-ups in both national and international publications and has additionally taught at the best glass schools in the world in case you do not know Pilchuck Glass School in Stanwood, Washington which was founded by Dale Chihuly in 1971 as well as at Bullseye Glass. And she's also taught at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology University. So today we're going to talk to her about all of this and her participation on the board of directors for Young Aspirations Young Artist Center. It's called YAYA the Yaya Institute in New Orleans, and she has other professional associations. So as you're listening, if you want to pull up her website, you can go through some of the images and pieces and projects we'll be talking about. Her name is Laurel Porcari, and her website is laurelporcari.com, spelled L-A-U-R-E-L-P-O-R-C-A-R-I.com. Welcome, Laurel.
0: Hi Lisa, I am delighted to be here. How are you?
1: I am great. I'm so happy to talk to you and thank you for making time to be on the show and talk to our listening audience and me about your work and how you got here.
0: Uh, it's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. So where <sighs> where, where would you like to start?
0: Wow. Um, well, first of all, you're hired. <laughs> 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 I, I Thank was you. As I was listening, I'm listening to the introduction, and and I'm like, wow.
1: Who is that? Ah, <laughs> for our audience, I've known Laurel and I have known each other over 20 years. We met back at Tulane when she got her master's in fine arts. And so I knew you even before that, when you were an architect and teaching in Australia and at Tulane University, and I don't quite remember how you fell in love with glass art and how you've now developed this business with these gorgeous installations. So I wonder if maybe we can just start there.
0: Uh, sure. Yes, we've known each other for a while. In fact, it was while I was still on the faculty of the architecture school at Tulane that I went across the campus to the arts department where the beautiful glass studio is. And you were one of the people who was there casting glass. Yes. And I remember just saying to myself, wow, you know, this is a uh, just fabulous material it the work was just so cool that was coming out there and you know lots of unique voices of course um, there's the director of that studio Gene Koss you and I both know him pretty well Um, you know and those monumental pieces and I saw those photographs there but I was really um, you know I didn't have a lot of experience with glasswork in that way um, mm-hmm. I had experienced the material as an architect and, you know, all architects love glass. I mean, it's this thing that, it, you know, it uh, brings light into volumes. It separates one volume from another. It's uh, structural and, it, you know, jewel-like it sometimes. Um, yes. You know, but we don't have, as architects, you have lots of... Uh, I would say knowledge of material, but not that uh, tactile experience working with the material. So I was immediately fascinated by that. Um, And then I think it was after two or three classes that I took in the glass studio Mm -hmm. that I applied for the master's program. And then it was from there that I quit my job in the architecture school yes. <laughs> yes. and went and got the master's degree because I was, I was accepted to the program at Tulane. Um, and the rest is kind of uh, me trying to figure out how best to marry what I knew already mm-hmm. in terms of my kind of voice, what I wanted to say with the material that I already had in, in kind of my bank of, you know, architectural and urban design goods. I had this bag of tricks already organized. And then, you know, how, to, how, to, how did I marshal that? How was I going to, at this point, how was I going to marshal that in terms of a new sense of material? Well. Um, so, you know, I was sort of floundering for a little while. I'll admit it, I didn't know anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Can I jump in for a minute to to add to that Yeah, sure. thus far? And so for our our listeners, Tulane Glass Department is a a world-renowned facility founded by Gene Koss about 40 years ago, and it's a beautiful facility, and we're known for glass casting. And when Laurel says that, when I say that, that means a furnace with molten glass at 2,300 degrees that we scoop out, typically with ladles, and pour into sand molds and steel molds and make, say, you know, blocks... Uh, different, you know, three-dimensional objects that are solid. And so when Laurel was at Tulane, that is, you know, what you were taught to do. And so what I'm curious about is because Laurel's work is, is so different from that, you managed to make it your own, though there was no instruction on how you now take pieces of, say, sheet glass, cut them into thousands and thousands of pieces and then fuse them together, which means melt them down together and then make a pattern, fuse that together. It's so tedious. And I'm curious like how you even, you know, took what you learned at Tulane, which is what you do now. It's so radically different and wasn't taught. So you really made it your own voice.
0: Well, there are a couple of things that that, um, go on here. The first technical part is that after Tulane, I went to Pilchuck. And the class that I chose to attend at that time was with an Australian glass art maker named Warren Langley. And Warren's work is monumental, Mm -hmm. is made out of fused sheets of glass. He uses both window glass, which we commonly call float glass, Um, Because it's manufactured by floating these big molten gobs of glass out onto a pool of tin.
1: Um, Would that be sheet glass as well? Because your process is different for me also. Is float glass the same as sheet glass or different?
0: Um, It's the stuff you'd find in your house. So those clear sheet glass pieces in your home or on an office building, that's That's, float glass. Got it. The colored glass is bullseye glass is the system that I use and I can explain system as well. Um, that has to do with a coefficient of expansion, different glass doesn't marry well with other glass. So say I melted a beer bottle and I wanted to connect it to a window, you know, by melting that glass, those two things would actually blow apart because they're not the same, uh, molecular family of glass. So having said that, I go out to Pilchuck and I attend this class with Warren and he's got these big kilns and these sheets of glass and he works like a bit of a cowboy. (laughs) He's a great guy. uh, Yeah. He's, you know, he's not as concerned with the particularities of Uh, precision. You know, he was very loose and it was something that I really enjoyed. Um, But he showed how to attain great scale by assembling parts. And that's something that we learned at Tulane. You make a lot of parts, you put them together, you, you know, you assemble these things and you get your scale through this assemblage. Um, Yes. So that then kind of triggered something in my head. And that was that during my architecture years, I was fascinated with patterns of language representing space, um, maps, grids, things like that. So it took a while longer to start to create my own pattern language within these big sheets of glass. Mm -hmm. So now what's happened, you know, if we flash forward all the way, the things that you'll find in my work are grids. There are many, many pieces of glass, um, or at least it looks like there are. Yes. And I have a, 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 there's a pattern language working underneath there. There's something organic going on while there's something uh, orthogonal going on, you know, so there's the abstract organization or the, Some people would call it an artifice. And then there's the touchstone to whatever the site is or whatever I'm uh, thinking about at the time, which shows up more in the organic nature of the pattern within the grid.
1: That somehow references the origin even or the location of where the piece will be. I've I've seen in your work as well, a reference to that. Yes.
0: Yes, definitely. So... For instance, the one of the latest installations I did was at a hospital in the Bronx called uh, Einstein Hospital, and it's now a Weiler Einstein Hospital, and it's owned by the Montefiore Medical System. So I've done a two-part installation there, one of which I call um, uh, "We Are Stardust," yes. and it's, it's sort of a galactic. Organic pattern that's overlaid on a, a spectrum that's also got this kind of a, um, I would say it's quasi DNA looking mm-hmm. pattern in there. Um, so I reference the idea that we're all from the same stuff. I mean, that's kind of a, the basis of the idea. Then on the other side of the lobby, there's the more planetary version of it, where are there are these big disks that are our hanging celestial on wall. bodies, and then, correct? Yes, yeah. And I call those celestial bodies. So it's us and the galaxy, or us and our place in the sort of cycle of, of the universe. Um, you know, so it's developed to that point, but there's always a touchstone having to do with the site. Or, you know, specific to the name of a place. Like, I look for a hook. Mm -hmm. It's a narrative hook.
1: And I'm looking at the piece right now, We Are Stardust and Celestial Bodies. And in We Are Stardust, it's definitely with the color images, with blues and greens and yellows. I feel like you've connected us to water to earth, to the elements, to metal, because there's metal as part of the backdrop that swirls like the cosmos, like energy, you know, and then the celestial bodies that are like planets floating on the wall behind it. So did you, and my question for you in in a major installation like this, do you have, you know, free reign to, to walk into a space and say, this is what I see here? I'm wondering how that worked for
0: this project in particular. For this project in particular, I was in competition with two other artists, Um, and I didn't know who they... I still don't know who they were, Um, Mm -hmm. but there were uh, submissions that were solicited from three groups of artists, uh, to me and these two other people, and all we were given was the site. Uh, so here's this one. It wasn't even built yet. This is uh, you know, oh, from wow. plans that were handed over wow. to us, the architect's plans. And we walked onto a job site and, you know, there was kind of studs sticking up out of concrete. And, you know, it, it was a little crazy at the time. It was a little difficult to get a, a bead on what it would ultimately look like, which presented a challenge in a way. Um, At the same time, for me, imagining how the site would wind up looking from the architectural drawings was, I guess, easier for me to do because I could build a model for that um, in my head and then a physical one to work with. But to answer your question, that's all we were given. So, and then we were given a budget. Yeah. And for me, it was like, okay, well, where am I? Who are all the people that frequent this hospital? The hospital has a great history. It's part of the yeshiva system. It's in the East Bronx. It serves a really diverse community. Um at any given moment, there are medical students in the lobby. There are families of patients in the lobby waiting for surgeries to be finished, for people to deliver babies. It can be stressful happy. It can be stressful sad. It, You know, it just depends. I've seen surgeons hang out in the lobby just to get a little peace and quiet right. on a calm day. So it was important for me to channel that into it as well to be able to look at this and go, well, this is an abstraction. I'm not going to do, um, and I don't do identity politics in my work. So this is an abstract piece of art that people can communicate with, um, and see themselves in somehow. And be a part of it. And be a part of it. The swirling galaxy people can identify with, they identify with Uh, The color spectrum, for me, the color spectrum rose from uh, Einstein's theory of uh, electromagnetic figuring, which actually is put to work in magnetic resonance imagery. Your different densities of tissue are different colors in a magnetic resonance image. So if it wasn't for Einstein, we wouldn't have a major diagnostic tool. Right. So that was one of the reasons why the spectrum started in the first place. Okay. So did that answer that?
1: <laughs> it did. And, and I see not knowing that. Again, I see the elements. I see wood, water, earth, air and and just cool. I, I it's so cool. And I can't even imagine a more better project for you. It it couldn't have hurt that you're from New York and, and know the area. And additionally, that you're an architect. So you know how to read a blueprint and know how to do things that I think other artists might have to hire out for that you have that eye and training for so many years. It seems just like talk about fulfilling purpose, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. To me, it seems like you've really fulfilled your purpose in this in this installation. Does it feel that way for you?
0: It does. It feels comfortable. For a long time, I was awkward and trying to find the way through the process. And now I know that I can sit down and draw these, you know, draw from the greater kind of analysis of the place. You know, if I just sit down for a minute and think about where the work is going to be Mm -hmm. that's my way in you know um at the same time that can also be a detractor because that's an architect's reliance on site specificity okay so i have to fight that sometimes Mm. and say okay well what are the merits of this work if it's removed from the site is it still legible If I put out a picture of it and stick it somewhere, does it still work? And that's the acid test, you know, testing the efficacy of something after I've designed it is, you know, me taking it out of the, you know, photoshopping it into the site. Well, take it out and just print it and go, well, what does that look like? Is that okay?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I would never think that's part of your process. Yeah, it
0: is. It is.
1: So since, you know, when we spend time together, I'm, I'm not typically picking your brain about all these curiosities I have and that I think our listeners do too. I, I've always been curious, what is or would you say would be the most stressful period of any given project for you?
0: Interesting question. Uh, for me, honestly, it's when it's being installed. Because that's when my hands that's what I suspected. are not <laughs> really on it. And I'm watching something that is really big being hoisted, rigged, moved on a scissors lift <laughs> or whatever by people that I do trust. It's not a question of my not trusting them. It's just mm-hmm. me imagining a worst case scenario where suddenly 30,000 pieces of glass have to be melted again, (laughs) where I have to start from scratch and make something over. But quite honestly, that just doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. It's just me in this fantasy land, not living in the present. And that is something that I have to concentrate on when I'm on a job site is just taking, taking a beat and acknowledging that people do know what they're doing
1: and yes. not being
0: arrogant about it. And because the basis of that is is my somehow being arrogant, you know, like thinking that someone can't do something when in mm. fact they can um, and being sort of a control freak about it because I can't touch it. Um, right. Right. But
1: I think that shows you care about what you've done and what you're installing. And I figured that could be the most anxiety-producing time when everything comes together in the space, metal and glass. Glass is fragile, though your glass looks very sturdy and strong because of its size. Just I, I imagine that's very tense.
0: It is. It's tense, and it is largely because of my own mental machinations that it becomes tense like i said uh it's it's, people are really really good at what they do i've i'm I'm lucky to be surrounded by people who are really great at what they do so the installers for the work at einstein were amazing really really amazing Mm -hmm. How long, Um, you know, and at the same time, I just, I'm a nervous Nelly.
1: (laughs) Of course, of course. So uh, how long did a project like this take? And is there a typical time that your projects take from, you know, inception, like ideas, drawings, et cetera, to like when they're completed?
0: Typically, that's a window of 18 to 24 months. Oh, that's a I've long got, time. Wow. Okay. It is. It's a long time because the process is um, typically it goes from a request for qualifications, which I lovingly call a request for a rejection.
1: Uh, <laughs> where I've got quite a few of those. Yes. And,
0: <laughs> and the rejection comes back. No, but sometimes the acceptance comes in and you're in a, a competitive scenario then it takes a few months for that competitive part to end. And you know, then you get picked and then there's contracts. Um So by the time I'm in fabrication, yeah, it's, it's 18 to 24 months.
1: And do you have projects going on simultaneously? Like, say, how many a year or how do you organize that
0: with this type of work? Ideally... Ideally, there will be different projects going on that are in different phases so that there's always activity and they don't get bunched up at the end. Um, And that I learned not by any practical means. I actually learned it by having too many things happening at the same time, which generally results in things. details that can slip through cracks. So you want to be able to put your eye on my I need to be able to put my eyes on things. Because uh, you're involved and, in every
1: step of the process is is what I hear you saying. Yes,
0: yes. which makes it unlike a lot of architecture uh, mm. in longevity, right? I mean, it takes longer to build a building than it does to build one of these projects, which That's also right. is very uh, alluring to me. But yes, I like to be involved in all the aspects of it. So whether the fabrication is happening in my studio or whether it's being farmed out and I participate in it in uh, short shots, what I don't like to have happen is that all the installation... And the you know the end of fabrication and installation gets bunched up one right after the other because right. that's the moment that things can slip and, and it's so crucial. You know, I've had that happen also kind of recently, um, especially last year with everything that was happening it, with my family in New York. Mm. Yeah, different jobs had you know there there were schedule slides and those things have to be accommodated as well. Yes, so. So, yeah.
1: So, yeah, the personal and professional worlds combining unexpectedly and having to adjust and regroup. And I imagine your clients are understanding when when that did happen. Would I would hope they would
0: be. Yes, one was one was less than understanding. Okay, you know, ones like I'm sorry, you know, are please accept our condolences. And another one is, uh, oh, and whatever time you need, let us know, we'll slide the schedule for you. And then another one is, please accept our condolences, we're on schedule for installation, blah, da da. <laughs> wow. So there, you know, the, the latter scenario meant that for me, I farmed out a lot more of the work than I would have and just took it on the chin, financially. Right. Um, The project turned out to be beautiful, but the fact is I didn't have my hands on it as much as I wanted to. And Um, how did... did, Yeah, I mean, I can't anticipate people's uh, people's responses, um, and the second that I do try to assume that somebody's going to be um, okay with a schedule slide, no matter what the circumstances are, that, I can't make that assumption anymore. I think the jobs are a little too big and I, everybody wants things when they want it.
1: Yeah, and I wonder to to work with budgets over $100,000, what is that even like? And did you ever think, you know, 25 years ago, this is what you would be doing and able <laughs> to handle? It's impressive.
0: I had the opportunity to attend a creative capital workshop workshop uh, in uh, I think I was in Baton Rouge, but Creative Capital is a group out of New York, and they offer a variety of artist services, including strategic planning for artists. So I go to this strategic planning workshop, and they're they're fantastic. They're teaching me all kinds of business things, and you know, sitting there, I'm all eager. This is a yeah. while ago too, um, and I remember because I've kept it the strategic planning sheet of where I wanted to be in a couple of years. And this was right okay. around getting out of graduate school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I write down, want to sell a piece for $2,500. Okay. Just like that. Ha. <laughs> and I've kept it. I've kept it because at that time, all things being relative, $2,500 to me, was like yeah. enough ramen to eat, you know, forever. <laughs> totally, forever. It would have been. <laughs> I was that's a starving great. artist, you know. Yeah. Um so that's the kind of thing that I really really appreciate, you know, just being able to 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 look at that and go, yeah, that's that's a really important moment to understand that there's another job and every time another job comes in that means that the professional part of the reputation moves forward a little bit and it you move forward a little more and then there's another job and it moves forward a little more and then it it's cumulative that way because certainly nobody that I know now out of my clients Twenty years ago would have given me a job and said, "Well, the budget here is two hundred and twenty thousand right. dollars." Because I wouldn't have known what to do with that. I don't. I wouldn't even yeah. know how to how to organize a, a, the accounts for that. Exactly. To make it happen.
1: And and I can relate to that because when we met, you know, and my work, I contemplated. I did submit to some competitions for public art sculptures and I quickly learned that and still to this day I have no idea Mm -hmm. how to manage a budget of even $50,000 for a project and so I saw that I would I I had to make a decision you know do I want to go full force in psychotherapy and you know like now entering into authorship and doing the radio show or do I want to become you know more of a commissioned glass artist because I would have to basically school myself or you know learn how to do that and i chose the latter route with psychotherapy and authorship and radio show. And I love glass as therapy for me and to give his gifts and, you know, small pieces for restaurants and such, but it's just a whole different world with those types of budgets and all the people and the moving parts that are professionals and expect a certain protocol. And so you had to navigate all that, but I, I wondered, did you know some already from doing architecture and if it was more of a seamless transition?
0: The first part of what you said, uh, yeah. where uh, the psychotherapy of the material is yeah. something that you've maintained yes. for, for yourself. for 25 years. Yeah, I, I think that that is so, there's a lot of wisdom in that because no matter what, it, it has to do with feeding one's soul. Um, so for you, the connection, uh, psychological, emotional connections to other human beings has always been really super important for you. Right. Um, and you know, that's, it's in, it's quite admirable, first of all, but second of all, it's really, um, to me that shows a lot of, uh, personal understanding, you know, of, of where you are and what you want. Um, mm-hmm. and what you're good at, recognizing where your expertise is, right? Yes. So they're not biting off more than I the, can chew. Yeah. And then there's that, because then it, it makes you an expert at nothing. But Exactly. You know, kind of. nobody wants to be mediocre at 100 things. They want to be really <laughs> good at one, you know, right? I mean, yes. I want to be good at, at something. I don't want to be okay at 20 things. Right. So that leads me down to the second part of what you were saying, you know, how I applied what I knew from my past career mm-hmm. um, into the present one. And yes, there are lots of stakeholders in these projects, And I use that term really specifically because there are owners, there are construction development people, uh, there are and for me, the most important people in a healthcare project are in fact the patients and the staff and the family of the patients who will benefit from the art in the healthcare environment. But my ability to navigate between all the different you know, facilities and curators or whatever um, or whomever the characters are Really came from my academic career, where things were, I think, much more hmm, politically charged. There were many more opportunities to learn diplomacy in academia than in my architectural career because of my role. As a I worked for bigger instructor. firms. I yeah. wasn't necessarily the interface with the clientele, whereas um, in my academic realms, they—you know—there are the professors, but there's also administration that has to happen, and then there's interacting with the students, who, in fact, are the most important part of the piece. Mm-hmm. And I like in the students you know and being able to communicate effectively with them and teach them what they need to know and to really ask those questions of them how you know well how am i doing am i delivering the thing that that we should be delivering here that kind of an assessment is something that i bring forward into what my work is now
1: you yeah. know am i
0: giving people a moment of contemplation within what could be a really stressful place so that right. you see water and elements someone else sees stars and DNA mm-hmm. someone else sees portholes through a stone wall mm. you know it's whatever but I want a universal language stop. yeah just stop and take a beat am I delivering I like- that
1: I like that you're conscious of that. I hadn't considered that you're conscious of in a hospital the patients, the staff being the most important components and the families and I think that shows in the in the just how well made and how well thought out your work is in the spaces that they're in right now.
0: Well thanks. Um yeah, I do I do take into account that I want people to find some kind of peace, you know, um, or just be able to just look at it and and look at it, like really look, see it. Yeah.
1: And and I appreciate in, that you in, notice. In, go on,
0: and then go I'll go ahead. Say. Sorry,
1: no, you first, Laurel.
0: Well, people in even if it's um, say. The cheese company grande where i had those niche sculptures that are oh uh, yeah they look like wheels They're right beautiful in the, the wood kind of built-in
1: frames yeah
0: yeah that is a beautiful building but it was really really important for me to be able to convey the vision from the exterior of the project with the landscape architects who wanted people to be able to appreciate the setting. They had a naturalistic setting that they were putting in place for this cheese company. And it was the vision of the landscape architects was was beautiful. You know, so for me it was really, really important to get these aspects of what their language was into my pieces and then to use that entree into setting something into the architecture in terms of its proportion, being able to um, liven up, you know, complement a color scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are lots of things that are at play in, in this. But at the end of it, I wanted people to the, the people that work there to just be able to sit down and enjoy these things.
1: Yes, <laughs> Yes. And I appreciate the portion of the conversation we've had as well relating to you and I being on the opposite ends of the same spectrum is kind of how I'm seeing it. And for other listeners that might be artists at various, you know, portions or points of their career, like that you made a decision, this is what I'm going to do. And you went for it and you learned everything to be able to make these monumental sculptures with huge budgets, you know, all over the country. And I know you want to expand internationally as well well and for me realizing you know at some point I felt like like I have to do that, that's what I'm supposed to do but it just somehow didn't fit and so I'm grateful as you know to have Tulane and Jean Koss allow me to work the last 25 years to be able to fulfill my soul and my spirit because glass it's it's in my body, it's in my bones you know to be able to cast <laughs> it's always been there for me as as like support you know so we found ourselves in the same kind of field but doing Doing it in completely different ways and being gratified.
0: Yeah, I think I I agree so wholeheartedly with the idea that people, I, you, other people should feed their souls. You yeah. know? And I consider myself incredibly lucky because I'm working at the thing. That feeds my soul. Yes, and I, I acknowledge and know that there are jobs out there that don't necessarily do that, mm-hmm. but and I've been in them as well. Right, so same here. It, it, yeah, you know, like I went to graduate school for art when I was forty years old, and you were older. Yeah, that's not easy, right? I'm. Wow, I'm really aged now. Um, <laughs> I know, what you do not I? look. I just <laughs> you know, when I think about it, yeah, I got married when I was forty years old. So it was like I was in my mid thirties when I was in graduate school for art. So it wasn't It wasn't something that. that I did as a you know coming out of undergraduate school. I just. I went out and I was working for a while and I remember so specifically having a conversation with my parents they were in New York. I was in my apartment in New Orleans and I had been accepted to the MFA program and I'm on the phone with my parents and I'm crying my eyes out, telling them that, I'm going to leave my job in the architecture school. And I wanted to do this MFA with all of my heart. And I remember my parents saying, asking me why I was crying. Mm. And my answer was, because I'm relieved. And my father, I heard his breath. Go in a little bit, you know, because yeah. his whole thing was always about, you know, being the professional. And there's a lot of other stuff behind being the professional, which has to do with assimilating into one's new country. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he sucked in his breath. But my mother's reaction was I want you and your father wants you to be happy. And if your reaction to leaving your present career is to cry with relief and to be happy about moving forward into this other space, then that is definitely what you should do. And, you know, it was that I was like suddenly like something was, you know, I was unburdened. Yes, it was. It was. It was really cathartic. I have to
1: a pivotal moment, and you were you were so close to your parents before they passed on, and they're such professional people that it could have been scary. I wondered how they took you're going to leave the successful career to go to grad school in glass art, but I love that they were supportive
0: because they wanted to see you happy. Yeah, they did. You know, they had a lot of uh, moments of consternation I call them with me over over time I mean I was the one in the family that left the country I you know I was just really difficult to pin down there there was all this stuff that I was doing that didn't necessarily fit into the mold uh, that they kind of had but at the same time my mother was very clear about these things you know, and, and she took great pride in, in, um, and she said it flat out. Like when I told her I was going to leave and go to Australia and wound up, you know, staying there for four and a half years. But when I told her that, that that's what I wanted to do and, and asked her if that was okay. And she looked at me and just said, well, you know, we're the ones that gave you those wings. I'm sure not going to clip them now. <laughs> just oh, that's that was
1: beautiful. It
0: yeah' it. She was amazing, amazing,
1: yeah, yeah, she was so what what would you say, Laurel, to any artist out there listening desiring to do the kind of scale work at your kind of scale and and budgets? What would you suggest for them or advise to them?
0: I think the first thing. Would be to seek seek out the work and the artists that you admire, and start a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, my work's really specific in materiality and language. there's you know there's a lot of work out there. Um, so I would do that. I would there are, I don't recommend necessarily going to school to learn these things. I think teaching public art is not necessarily a direction that one needs to go. Okay. Um, I will say that knowing your own voice is really important in this. Um, my projects, you know, they started small so um, yeah. maybe my second piece of advice would be would be to uh, learn about the designers in your own town, in your own city, and look at the work that they're working on and be aware, like when you go into whatever the bank is, whatever the hospital is, you know, like there's work there. And the way you yeah. can find out what's available in terms of smaller projects as you're on right into this, is to do a little research. There are um, development departments at hospitals that often have curatorial wings, and sometimes they take solicitations. There are art agents around the country who work for corporations and hospitals. You can send them materials. The first thing you do is you ask them if they are taking materials from artists. Um, But I think one of the things that's really important is to just put yourself out there and communicate with the people that you'd like to be associated with. Sure. But not necessarily for your work first. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean... Say you wanted to be part of a gallery and you just sent your work to them and said, gee, my work is awesome. It should be in your gallery. That's not going to go over as well as you building a relationship with the people who are that, who are part of that gallery. Yes. And then they'll be open to listening to your ideas about the work. And then your introduction of your actual work. And that process really is important. You're talking about building a relationship. Introduction. Yeah, I am. I'm talking about building relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of art out there. What there isn't is a lot of genuine relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, as
1: an, as I know we're nearing the end of our time, I have one question I'm kind of you know chewing at the bit to ask you that popped in my head you've worked with many materials incorporating glass with with various metals and wood is there a materi- material you would like to work with that you haven't yet
0: i think hmm interesting well right now i'm really into 3d printing oh, cool um, and i'd like to be able to do an inflatable thing that's just huge. Wow! <laughs> wow! I know that that's... sounds weird, but just like that sounds fine. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I love these. You know those things that uh, pop up around the holidays on people's lawns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought of that floating on a body of water, but somehow being beautiful.
0: Yeah. You know, like for me, the idea that this is the, it can be in different locations. It can fill up space. It could, it could be shrunken down or made bigger. You know, I like, I like these ideas, but I also know that part of that has to do with the technology that I could kind yes. of harness to do that. Um and the other thing that I'm really into right now is mosaic. So at the other end of the scale is this like pave made out of all these little itty-bitty bits of of tile, um, which feeds my OCD big time. And you're doing that you know? right now on
1: a vehicle, <laughs> correct? You're mosaicing a vehicle yes. in beautiful, tiny glass pieces.
0: Yes. that The mosaic fabricator that I'm working with, when I walked into this guy's studio, uh, it was me in my the dream candy shop. <laughs> I walked in there, and there's thousands of bins, and they're all color coded and organized, and they're full of these little itty bitty so bits. So I was like, "Oh, this is awesome."
1: <laughs> hmm so we we have to end unfortunately because i could keep talking to you but my last question is i'm wondering laurel what is it that you would like to like earlier fulfilling life purpose is one way i said it or something to leave what's important to you and and all that you've done in your life however you would like to answer that
0: Is this a a what do I want on my tombstone question?
1: (laughs) Well, kind of like leave as a legacy. I mean, your work will live on, you know, in, in these spaces. And is there a hope that you have or a desire that, you know, all that you've put into them and the thoughtfulness that, you know, what would you like to carry on
0: beyond you? Well, it's a complex question, and and part of that, uh, and I kind of feel like I'm on the back foot in a way because um, as a female with no children,
1: you know, mm. automatically mm. my
0: response, uh, also because of the Italian American part of me, would be, wow, that would be I would want to leave behind my children, right? <laughs> and then I think you have, have in this work children and children. Um, I, mean, I think that, this but is. in in way, yeah, yeah. You know, I I feel like the work is my legacy. But the other thing that's really important to me is Yaya, Um, you know, and that public access nonprofit studio um, and perpetuating the glass arts here in New Orleans. But, you know, specifically, but then. Getting those kids into the art form so that they go out and go do something fabulous, hopefully. And
1: that would be a whole you know, other so, show that we can do and, talking about that aspect of your life, the the nonprofit and you know giving aspect of of your world.
0: I mean, I think I, I you know I want people to live with the work and and maybe get from the work that there's a generosity of spirit that goes into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I, I would like people just in general to do, <laughs> but specifically to me, um, I try to live that code.
1: Yeah, you do. Laurel, I want to thank you for being my guest today. And for our listeners, Laurel's website is laurelporcari.com, laure L a u r e l dot com. I really appreciate this conversation.
0: Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. And I look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Likewise. Bye. Okay.
1: Bye. That concludes our show for today. Join me next week as I bring you another guest on a different topic. I hope everyone has a great week. Bye-bye.
0: Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.